0: Let's pray. Father, as you mark the birth of your son with a star that guided Gentile wise men to worship him, we pray, Lord, that you would guide us by your word, that we might see Jesus and worship him too. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, this is a sermon about inclusion. The world is full of divisions and distinctions between rich and poor, between black and white, between male and female and many, many others. And in our time and place, there's a sense that such distinctions, such divisions are a problem and they need to be balanced up or somehow eliminated or neutralised. perhaps the thought that uh, human divisions can and should be overcome derives, in part at least, from the New Testament and from the idea that a great division in the ancient world, certainly in the mind of Jews, between Jew and Gentile, that that division has been overcome in Christ and that Christ's church has an inclusive unity. Today I want to Go through this in three sections. Firstly, Abraham's offspring and the rest. Secondly, the Magi. And thirdly, Christ's church. Let's begin with Abraham's offspring and the rest. Throughout the Old Testament, from Genesis 12 onwards, there is a great division, a great distinction between Abraham's offspring and the rest of the nations. For God chose Abraham, we read in Genesis 12, 2, God saying to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. Abraham would have a special place with respect to God and others. God says, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And certain of Abraham's descendants would inherit these promises of blessing. It would be Isaac who inherited this promise, not Ishmael. It would be Jacob who inherited the promise and not Esau. The 12 sons of Jacob uh, became the 12 tribes of Israel. There is Israel, descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And there is everyone else all the other nations however it is not that God cares only for Israel for even to Abraham God said you will be a blessing and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and as a kind of reminder that God is active beyond Israel he has made these promises to the descendants of Abraham but he is not Only concerned with those descendants, from time to time, mysterious non-Israelites come and they bless Israel in God's name. We might think of the mysterious Melchizedek, who we meet in Genesis 14. He uh, meets Abram after Abraham returned from defeating Kedorlaomer and the kings allied with him. The king of Sodom came out to meet them in the valley of Shaveh, that is, the king's valley. Then. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High and he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. That's all we hear of Melchizedek. He appears, he blesses Abraham, and he moves off stage. Or we think of Balaam. Uh, Balaam, who was an outsider to Israel, but employed by Balak to curse Israel, but he couldn't curse Israel. He had only words of blessing. This is from Numbers 24, and Balaam spoke this message The prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor, the prophecy of one whose eyes see clearly. The prophecy of one who hears the words of God, who has the knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate, prostrate and whose eyes are opened. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come up out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the heads of Moab, the skulls of all the people of Sheth. As we go on in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, which we had a reading from today, the book of Isaiah presents God's intention that he would send a restorer to Israel. Israel had fallen on hard times under the hand, the heel of the Babylonians, but Israel would be restored. And along with Israel, God would bless the nations too. Here's Isaiah 49. And now the Lord says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And in the words of Isaiah 60, our Old Testament reading, and when the light of Israel comes, It will draw in the nations. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. So we have these Old Testament Words that look forward, that see a star rising among the descendants of Jacob who will be a ruler. We have the Lord's servant who will restore Israel and shine the light of God's salvation to all nations. Who, these nations will then be drawn to that light. They will come to us. And so we arrive at number two, the Magi. Magi joined the list of mysterious outsiders to Israel who know something important from God. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Magi was originally a term that referred to Median or Persian priests. The Medes and the Persians lived, you know, to the east of Israel they were, um, and, and to the north. They were Zoroastrians. But the word Magi came to refer to all kinds of astrologers and sages and soothsayers generally. And these Magi may have come from Persia or Babylon or perhaps Arabia. These are men who observe the sky, who deal in prophecy, who receive dreams how they knew what they knew is not explained and generally such pagan arts were frowned upon in israel all this astrology and soothsaying was not kosher was not right but nonetheless here they are these outsiders these these pagans these gentiles they're keen to honor the one who has been born king of the jews Their knowledge is incomplete, however. They need the guidance of the scriptures. And so Herod seeks it for them. He called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now with this finer detail provided by the Jewish priests and teachers of the law, the Magi journey on and at this point the star reappears to pinpoint just the right house in Bethlehem. The star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was and when they saw the star they were overjoyed. Now, it must be said this star doesn't behave like a star as we know it up there shining in the sky. It seems to be something quite different. It doesn't even seem like a comet or meteor. It seems more like an animate thing, a shining, mobile, guiding light. And notice that, you know, the men don't come to a stable. Do notice that the decorations are appropriate for today. We have uh, Mary and the child and the three, well, three Magi. Talk about that in a moment, adoring them. But there's a stable in the background, and the stable is actually a nice piece of tradition, but probably not the way it really was. Because in uh, first century Judean houses, turns out from archaeology, the animal quarters were actually incorporated in the main house. So they weren't separate stables. So when in Luke it says that Jesus was laid in a manger, it doesn't mean he was outside the house. The manger would have been in a section of the house. Anyway, all that is by the by. These Magi do not arrive simultaneously with the shepherds. They do not arrive on the night of Jesus' birth. The story itself suggests a delay since the first appearance of the star is what signals the birth of the King of the Jews and the Magi have had to travel subsequent to that. So sometimes the traditions of Christmas all get kind of mashed up and squished together and we all think it happened all at once. But no... There's a delay here. All of this may be fascinating, but it is slightly irrelevant to the main point, which is that moment where they bow down and worship him and open their treasures and present him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, why three wise men? Well, three gifts suggests three givers, even though it doesn't actually tell us how many of these fellows there were. But three gifts have given rise to the tradition of three wise men. And in fact, Isaiah 60, our Old Testament reading, suggests that it is kings who come and bear gifts. Nations will come to your light, writes Isaiah, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. And so the Magi become more than just Magi, they become the three kings of Orient. Later ages, wanting to kind of fill in the background story of these fascinating fellows, even name them. Who knows the names? Who can tell me? Uh, an interactive part of the sermon this morning. Belshazzar. Yep, Balthazar, Belshazzar, Balthazar is one. Anyone got another one? I'm glad you don't know this. This is completely useless information. <laughs> Melchior and Gaspar or Caspar. Anyway, these names are attached to the, these three fellows, but actually it's all completely made up <laughs> speculative. Um, all we know is there were Magi and they came and worshipped Christ. Again, all of this is completely irrelevant to the point, which I want to come back to and say the point is that these wise and learned Gentiles acknowledge Jesus as the newborn King of the Jews, that they've been led to do this by a heavenly light and they pay him homage. That is the point. Section three, Christ's church. What does all this mean? I mean, is this all just for kind of Jewish gratification? Look, God shines his light upon us. Look, the nations come, the wisest men of all the nations make their pilgrimage to us, to our city of Jerusalem, they consult our teaching of the law, they go and worship the child born in our town, the city of David. They bring us rich gifts. It's about time they recognize that God is with us and that they need to bless us to get God's blessing could be perhaps that you think is that what this is about well it turns out that this is not what this is about it doesn't mean that it is not about ah the jews are finally being acknowledged as somehow closer to god and superior rather it means inclusion paul puts it in a nutshell in our new testament reading in ephesians 3:6. this mystery The hidden thing now revealed, made manifest, this mystery that the wise men point to is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. The visit of the Magi is a sign that both Jew and Gentile will be taken up and included in what Jesus does. Let's hear more from Paul. This is Ephesians 2.14. For he, Christ, is himself our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Ephesians 2.17. He came, Jesus came, and preached peace to you who are far away, that is the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, that is the Jews. Peace to both. Uh, St. Augustine of Hippo preached an Epiphany sermon. Let me read to you from it. The shepherds prefigured those to be joined to Christ from close by, so that we too whose call from afar was signified by the coming of the Magi may now not be strangers and tenants but fellow citizens of the saints and with them members of the family of God built side by side on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with the cornerstone itself, Christ Jesus, who has made them both one. A visit of the Magi is the sign that God's salvation in Christ is available to both Jew and Gentile. Again, Paul in Romans 3, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by that same faith. Christ's church is one body, including all on the basis of faith in Christ and not on the basis of ancestry or religious observance. But, you say to me, but where is this unity, this inclusion? What about all the Jewish resistance to Paul's preaching to his fellow Jews that so pained Paul in his own lifetime? What about all the disgraceful anti-Semitism of Christian people? Prejudice towards even contempt of Jews. What about that? I mean, it's not universal, but, you know, it's real. How can we believe that God, that Christ has made both one? How can we believe that God is about overcoming division and removing barriers and hostility when this counter-evidence remains? And Paul wrestled hard with this. And we don't have time to read Romans 9 9 to 11 this morning, but that is two, three chapters of wrestling with this question. But he held onto the hope that in the end, the wisdom of God would be revealed in the way that things have gone with both Jew and Gentile. In the end, there's... An attitude of faith, that in the end God's grace and wisdom would not be hidden, wouldn't just be pointed to with signs like the visit of the Magi, but rather God's grace and wisdom would be manifest, that we would see hostility overcome. We would see hostility across divisions and distinctions disappear. Between Jew and Gentile, between rich and poor, between male and female, between black and white, between whatever this may and has and does happen partially imperfectly from time to time but genuinely and wonderfully it happens in the church in christ's church and the Christian hope is that it will happen fully and finally and forever in the end Ephesians 3:10 his intent God's intent was that now Through the Church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, the accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. For now, we can pray and work and live with God's project of inclusion in mind. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of this project. It is as he comes to us and that we are joined to him that our divisions are overcome. If that's true, don't let our divisions, our human divisions, our earthly divisions, whatever they may be, don't let those undermine the unity that we have in our common belonging to Christ by faith. That's internally, but even as we look out to the world, stay open to others. Stay open to others who may be on the other side of deep, and long and uncomfortable human divisions. I don't need to say that we live in polarised and polarising times. There is the left and the right, the rich and the poor, the black and the white, the male and the female, the religious and the secular, and all of these distinctions can become divisions and ways that people close themselves off to one another. The Magi point to the fact that God is about Well, not maintaining division, but about overcoming them in the end. About including all the peoples of the world in his salvation in Christ. And reconciling us to one another through him in the end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you drew these Magi to the cradle of Jesus to worship and adore him, the one born King of the Jews and of Gentiles too, and that these Gentiles acknowledge his lordship, his promise, his blessing, and they give him gifts in anticipation of the gift he will give to us, that he will make peace, he will make one new humanity out of all the nations of the world. So, Lord, help us to learn the lesson of this, not to despise or close ourselves off to those who are on the other side of human divisions, but to remember that you are making one new humanity in Christ. You are unifying and healing all divisions and reconciling us to one another. So help us to be part of that even now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.